All right, please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 26 and 27 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, it's page uh, 978 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Now, over the course of months, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians, and now we've really hit that section in Ephesians chapter 4 where everything that it talks about is specific, is intimate, is personal. It just applies to everyday life. Right? It's so rich, and, and it speaks at the level of our hearts, our attitudes, our daily thoughts, words, and actions, that it would be foolish of us just to gloss over it quickly and come on to what is next. It'd be really easy, really tempting for us to say, okay, these are all a bunch of examples of what it means to put off the old self and to put on the new, and so here's some examples, lying and anger and how we work and how we forgive others and just kind of move on and just come on to what is next. Let's get get on with this book, but we really need to just slow down and allow God's word to really examine us so that the Holy Spirit might convict us of our sin and we might respond in repentance and faith, that we might turn away from our selfish pursuit of sin and to be changed into the image of Christ, to be who we now are in him. The first three chapters of Ephesians have been devoted to teaching us about all that God has done for us in Christ, how God has saved us and God has changed us. God has united us together as a church to be the display of his power and his glory and his wisdom and his grace. And now in light of all that God has done for us and all that God has done in us through the life and the death and the resurrection and the continuing rule of Christ, we're then told at the beginning of chapter 4 to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. He's telling us to be who we now really are in Jesus Christ. He's not saying you need to be something that you're not. He's saying no, be who you are. Live the new life that we now have through Christ. You see, all who are truly in Christ have been changed by Christ. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit who is living and working in us, we are becoming more and more and more like Christ so that our lives together might be a reflection of the truth and the power and the glory of Christ. I intentionally said Christ a whole lot in there. You are not a Christian simply because you profess to hold to certain religious teachings. You are not a Christian just because you have happened to practice certain religious rituals, right? It's not a matter of like what I do or what I happen to think at the time. True Christians have been changed by Jesus and they desire to reflect the nature and character of Jesus in order to reach maturity in him, in order to reflect his nature and his saving work to the world. That is why we're given ethical commands. Every command of scripture that we're given is not to say you must do this in order to be saved or you need to do this in order to stay in God's good graces. Every moral command is given because it said this is a reflection of who Christ is. So be this. You've been changed into this. You are new in him. And so reflect him. We've got to get that, guys. It's to reflect our new identity and who Jesus is. This is why we are called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling and to no longer walk as the unbelieving world does. 
You see, our lives should look differently because of what Christ has done in us and for us. This is why we are, as it said back in chapter 4, verses 22 and 20, through 24, to put off our old sinful nature, to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Saying that's not who you are. That, that's, that doesn't define you anymore. You are not that person. That's your former manner of life. That's died on the cross. And instead, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Think right thoughts about God. Think right thoughts about who you are in him. Think right thoughts about what Christ has done for you and how that changes everything. And then put on the new self, your new identity. Put on Christ, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Because God has made us new in Christ, we are to put off the old self and to put on the new Right? We're living out of that new identity. If you do not get that, you will twist and distort every ethical command in some attempt to appease God, which you can never do. You cannot save yourself by your own righteousness. He's saying, live in your new identity. Be who you are. And so the rest of Ephesians gives many, many practical, relevant, daily examples of what that is meant to look like for the life of a Christian. What it means to actually put off and put on. And last time, in verse 25, we saw that we are to put off falsehood and lying and to speak truth. We put on truth by speaking truth to each other. And we do that because when we lie we speak, or speak what is false, our lives tell lies about the character and nature and purpose of God in Christ. They tell lies about the effects of the gospel. And so we want to reflect the truth and beauty of the gospel, so we tell the truth. We reflect the nature of God. We, we live as we were created to live. And when we speak truth to one another, rather than ripping away the unity that we have in the spirit through our lives, we instead build one another in, in love, up in love. We, we help one another to reach maturity in Christ. And today we're given just another very practical, daily, relevant example of what this means for us to put off the old self and to put on Christ. In verses 26 and 27, we're dealing with the issue of anger. Something we've all struggled with. And since all of those who have turned away from their sin and believed in Jesus are a new creation, we have been called to put off sinful anger. That's the simple truth that's being conveyed this morning in this text. Because you are a new creation, because you have a new identity, because you are new in Christ Jesus, and you have the Holy Spirit working in you, you have God's word to guide and direct you and help you, then you are to put off sinful anger. So let's read it in our text, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So, because we have put on Christ, we are called in this passage to put off sinful anger. And so, for us to adequately deal with this passage, we really need to answer two questions. First of all, what is anger? What is it really? How do we define it? And second, what are the qualifications of our anger? 
Now, we all have some notion of what anger is, primarily because we've all been angry and we've all seen other people get angry. Has anyone here not been angry ever? Let me ask you this as a follow-up. Do you consider yourself to be an angry person? Well, that's a lot harder to find, isn't it? But I hope that by the end of this, we will all recognize that we are angry people. Not to make you feel bad about yourself, but so that you can properly deal with it. Now, the truth is we struggle with anger far more than we are willing to admit. And so if you have trouble grasping the fact that you are an angry person, spend a little bit more time in verse 25. It's time to put off falsehood and to speak truth to yourself. Now, part of the reason why we don't consider ourselves to be angry people is because we have a hard time defining what exactly anger even is, right? I know we have some notion of it. We, we all know that we've experienced anger, either personally or, you know, we've seen people angry around us, but, but it's really hard for us to nail it down, and the world really doesn't help us out with this at all. Okay, it confuses it a lot. Now, this is the way the world defines anger. According to the American Psychological Association, anger is a completely normal, usually healthy human emotion. All right? A completely normal, usually healthy human emotion. Anger can range from mild irritation or frustration to concealed bitterness or resentment to intense fury and rage. Anger is considered by secular counselors to be one of 10 of the most basic fundamental emotions that you can experience. So in other words, it's one of 10 normal emotive responses to instigations or provocations. Basically, if something happens, right, I'm faced with a situation, it comes up, I can respond one of 10 ways, anger is one of them, right? That's what they're saying. In the eyes of the world, it is basic, it's normal, it's generally neutral emotion that needs to be expressed. They would all say it's not good for you to suppress your anger. You need to find some way of dealing with your anger. All right? And so it's only when anger is negatively expressed that it needs to be managed. It needs to be changed through various behavioral techniques like relaxation or the use of humor or communication skills or small group interventions or even just going out and finding a safe place to let it rip. Just got to get it out. Catharsis, right? Because that, that really helps. Me giving full vent to my anger has always helped my anger. That was sarcasm. We're going to be dealing with that in a couple of weeks. I'm not there yet. <clears throat> now, if that's the case, then anger in, in their mind is not a moral issue in the eyes of the world. Okay? Only when it's harmful towards other people is it considered a moral issue. But anger in and of itself, if it's a normal, basically, you know, you know, a completely normal, usually healthy human emotion, basically everybody deals with it, then it can't be sinful, right? And this is because although there are many, many theories, and I say many, many theories, I was amazed by how many theories there are about the causes of anger and where, where anger finds its source. Uh, all secular counsels uh, and their causes for anger, whether they come back to some form of the human body. Anger resides in the body. Anger in some way or another comes from our body. If it comes from our body, it can't be sinful, right? Because if it comes from your body, it's as uncontrollable as the, your hair color or eye color, Right? There are 
There are those who argue explicitly for biological factors. Freud and his instinctive theory, you've heard this, fight or flight, right? It's just instinct. We're faced with a situation, boom, we're going to do one of two things. Anger is just instinctual in his mind. There's genetic theories, there's hormonal theories, there's neurological theories, and all sorts of those types of things all find their their center in the body. Some argue for affective or emotional theories. In their minds, aggression is a normal response to frustration that is associated with the thwarting of important goals or environmental conditions like crowds or loud noise or heat. So what they're saying is if we are pre-configured so that various external conditions will automatically result in our anger, right? If you turn up the heat, if you make a lot of noise, if you fill this room full of people, I will get angry, If you stand in the way of my goals, I will get angry. It's going to happen. There's no avoiding it. It's who you are. It's a natural emotional consequence. And then still others believe that anger is a learned behavior that results from dysfunctional thinking or dysfunctional family or dysfunctional conflict resolution, all of which is stored up in the mind. Right? And if it's stored up in the mind, and we're biological creatures, and there's no heaven or hell, there's no soul of man, we're just, you know, we're operating off a naturalistic worldview, then the result is it, it comes back to the body. Does it not? And no matter what theory or combination of theories the world puts forward, one would agree that anger is basically, is a basic normal uh, human emotion that finds its source ultimately in the body. And if anger then is simply a product of the body, then you can't help it. It's as much a part of you, who you are as the color of your hair. You simply need to learn how to comb it in a way that is socially acceptable. You have anger. It's built in. There's nothing you can do about it. It's not inherently wrong. It's just a part of you. You just need to learn how to deal with it in a socially acceptable fashion. And if that's the way that anger is viewed by the world, then it's no surprise then that we would minimize our anger or that we would justify our anger and say, you know what, this is normal, this is who I am, I have reason to be this way because you've thwarted, attempted to thwart my goals. Uh, it's no wonder that we just accept it as natural or we think that anger is neutral or that because I feel anger, I must respond in anger. It's necessary for me to express the anger that I feel. And as long as it doesn't kill anybody, well, then I'm free to let it rip. Now, I could say a lot about that. I wrote a paper on anger, and then I'll talk about that more in a minute. <laughs> you can get it on our, on our blog, redeemerchurch.wordpress.com. <clears throat> now, that's the way the world views anger, but is that the way that God views anger? By no means. Now, I will say this. The opposite is not true. It's not that all anger is inherently sinful and we should be stoics and never be angry. Okay? That's not the... uh, That's often the way that people go that is equally wrong. Okay? The Bible tells us that mankind was created in the image of God. We were created to reflect the nature and character of God in all that we do. And because we were created by God, then anger, this anger that we experience, is a God-given emotion. Anger is actually from God. It's not the result of the fall. Well, how do we know this? Well, 
Does God ever become angry? Yes, he does, right? So it's not that anger is always sinful or is a product of man's fall into sin. No, anger is from God. But we also see in Scripture that God expresses genuine, holy anger towards sin and unrighteousness. We know that God becomes angry. God is truly and fiercely angered by sin and evil. Really, really angered. Truly angered. It's God's wrath against sin, is it not? Yes, God is love, but he is also holy, and so his wrath against sin is there. It's dominant. He's, he will judge, but his anger is always without sin. It is a just and holy anger. And the only hope that we have of avoiding our loving God's anger for our sin is to trust in Christ's sacrifice for it. But notice that anger does fall on one. It's Christ that takes on the wrath of God for our sin. And we are freed from it by turning away from our sin and following after him. But let's just be clear. I want you to understand God is acutely aware of all of our sin. And he hates it with a fierce anger. So we who are created in his image with the God-given capacity towards anger can do the same and we're meant to do the same. We were created to reflect the nature and character of God which includes his anger towards sin and evil. So if you're here and you've ever wondered to yourself, why is it that I can experience or express anger? That's why. That we were created to reflect God's nature and character and his attitude towards evil. Now, there are many passages that we could look at on this, but I'll just provide one example. Psalm 97 verse 10 says, O you who love the Lord, and we we hope that that's all of us, right? O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Be angry at evil. Have righteous indignation toward evil. We should be angry towards evil sin and evil. When Adam and Eve were approached by the serpent, they should have become angry and they should have stoned that snake. That's what they should have done, but they didn't. Now we were created to reflect God and that includes his anger toward sin and evil. And don't worry, I'm not done yet. This is not licensed to become angry, All right? And perhaps that's why, because we were meant to reflect God, which includes his anger towards sin, perhaps that's why Ephesians 4.26 is given as a command. It says, be angry. Be angry. But before we can deal with the command, we still, we're not done yet thinking about anger. We need to talk about it just a little bit more. You see, God created us not just as biological machines. We're not bodies only. He created us as spiritual beings. We are body and soul. And all of who we are was created to reflect the nature and character of God. We have souls as well as bodies. Well, what is your soul? Simple definition provided in our children's catechism. Anybody? Yeah, we're picking this up, right? My soul includes all of me that should know and love God. All right? And so... This God-given emotion of anger is not just from our bodies, but it comes from our whole being, body and soul, and was meant to be used as a display of knowing and loving God. 
And if that's the case, then anger is a moral issue. Unlike the secular view of anger that says that anger comes from the body and there's nothing you can do about it, Scripture says no, anger is something that you do from your whole being, your whole person. It's something that arises up from your heart and is meant to be something that is directed toward God for you to know Him and for you to love Him. So how should we then as Christians define anger? Well, here Robert Jones in his book, Uprooting Anger, gives a very helpful definition for us to think about. I highly recommend this book to you. He says, anger is our whole personed active response of negative moral judgment against a perceived evil. Anger is our whole personed active response of negative moral judgment against a personal evil. Anger is not something that we have, like I have black hair, it is, though I have less than before. It is something that we do. It's an active response. Whether you are harboring bitter thoughts in your heart or you are lashing out in furious rage, anger is something that you act on. Anger is not simply a product of the body or the mind, but it comes from our whole being, body and soul. It is a complex, more than a complex, I'm sorry, it is more complex than simply emotion or belief or behavior because it comes from the core of who we are. It comes from our hearts and it's rooted in our desires, which are more often than not sinful. Anger is a negative moral judgment against something. We're standing opposed to some situation in our thoughts or in our actions or in our attitudes. We're saying, that is wrong. That is unjust. I must stand against that. That's what we're doing. We're making a moral judgment and we're standing in opposition to whatever it is. And anger is, involves a judgment against a perceived evil. In our anger, we assess some action, some object, some situation, or some person to be evil or unjust. Now, there are times where this is obvious, right? When we hear of the murder of innocence or the abuse of power or slavery or sex trade, we should get angry by that. But most of the time, our anger is not directed to those types of things, are they? You see, sometimes our perception of evil is wrong. God always perceives evil correctly, but we don't. Sometimes our anger is very, very ungodly, and most of the time it is self-centered. And so, yeah, we can be angry. We can be angry as a reflection of the nature and character of God. There is such a thing as righteous anger, and we can have that. But here are a few ways you can discern whether or not you are righteously angry. First of all, we're angered by actual sin. All right? There's been a clear violation of God's word. This is not anger that comes from my being inconvenienced or you kind of standing in the way of my goals or some violation of my personal preferences or some sort of human tradition. We are actually angered by a real sin committed against God. Second criteria for righteous anger is that it focuses on God and his kingdom, rights and concerns, and not me and my kingdom, my rights or my concerns. 
It is God-centered, not self-centered. And third, righteous anger is accompanied, this one will always get us, is accompanied by other godly qualities and expresses itself in godly ways. (laughs) It's accompanied by godly qualities. Think about fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. It's expressed in godly ways to seek the glory of God and the good of others. It's not my attempt to destroy another person. So yes, anger is a God-given emotion and one that can reflect the nature and character of God. We should indeed be angry at the things that truly anger God. But let's face it, according to that criteria, how often does our anger meet those qualifications? Which leads me to ask a few questions that David Pallison came up with to help us to assess whether or not our anger is truly righteous. Do you get angry about the right things? Are you actually angered by sin and evil against God? Do you hate, truly hate sin because God hates sin? Or are you apathetic to the things that God hates? You are angry by other things. Do you express anger in the right way? I mean, you can be angered at the right things, but express them in sinful ways. And so how is your response? How long does your anger last? Do you move on? (laughs) Do you forgive and, and continue on? Or does it fester in your heart and in your soul. We'll we'll deal with that a little bit more in a moment. How controlled is your anger? You see, God's anger is never, ever out of control. And if we are truly going to reflect the anger of God, then our anger must too be controlled. What motivates your anger? Is it sin against God or is it some perceived evil against yourself? Is your anger primed and ready to respond to another person's habitual sin? Like you're just waiting for them to, and as soon as something happens, they do it. Oh, they did it again. That's it. All right? And maybe it's a serious sin, right? Maybe there's, they've really sinned against you, and this has happened over and over and over and over and over again, and it is heartbreaking. But you're not justified in your sin against them. How does that reflect God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? And what's the effect of your anger? Does your anger lead everyone towards Christ? Does it point them towards Christ? Does it help us to reach maturity in Christ? Or is it an attempt to tear the other person down? So that's what anger is, a a whole person active response of negative moral judgment against a perceived evil. And that's a lot different than the world's definition of of anger, is it not? Now it's probably clear to us by now that the vast majority of anger that we experience is not anger about the right things, but is sinful anger. But I want us to be sure. So let's examine the second question from our text. What are the qualifications of our anger? Again, the text commands, be angry. It's a command. Be angry. 
Now, some people try to say that it's a conditional imperative or a concessive imperative, basically saying, well, it's better to translate it if you are angry or when you are angry, but that doesn't really work grammatically. Uh, It's not a conditional imperative, but it is an imperative. It is a command that's conditioned and must concede to every other command of Scripture, especially the three that follow it, right? This is not a license to be angry, as if we are entitled to be angry and judgmental people. That's not the point at all. That's not been the point of Ephesians. We can't strip it from its context, Because the command to be angry is followed by three commands. Do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. This command to be angry must always be subject to the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so this command in no way gives us permission to be angry, critical, judgmental people. Now the... the, It really only sets the stage for us to think about anger. And so rather than focusing on this command to be angry, you cannot stop there. If you you walk away from this saying, Chet just told me that it is okay for me to be angry at sin, you have missed the point entirely and shame on you because I'm clarifying that's not what I'm saying. Okay? Now we need to focus more on the qualifications of our anger. And the first qualification given is that we are to not sin in our anger. Just because we feel angry doesn't give us license to sin against God and others in our anger. And let's face it, we're fallen. So most of our heart motives behind our anger are selfish and sinful. If our anger is not directed towards actual sin, if it's not focused on God and his kingdom, his rights and his concerns, if it's not accompanied by other godly qualities and expresses itself in godly ways, then our anger is sinful. It is. This is why James 1 verses 19 and 20 says that we are to be slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. No, more often than not, our anger is not righteous like God's because we are at the center of our anger, not God. And again, James is helpful to us. In James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, you would do well to memorize this passage. James 4, 1 through 3. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Why are you angry at that other person? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Sinful anger arises when there are entrenched desires and pleasures that battle within us. When we are tempted and deceived by our own covetousness or our envy or selfish desires that would lead us to wage war against God and against his people, against each other. We have these wants and desires and they go unmet. And if we don't identify and fight against those, these desires will rule us. And they will lead us towards anger against others. What are the longings and desires and pleasures that would attempt to consume you? I mean, just think back. What makes you angry? Just just think about that. We're talking about anger, right? 
When you find yourself angry at someone else or angry about a situation, you know, you just, you get stopped in traffic yet again and you're fuming at the guy that pulled out in front of you or whatever that is, you know, what are the ruling desires there? What are you wanting? What is it that you're thinking about? What's consuming your thoughts in those moments? Do you just keep going back to it over and over and over again? What is it that you, you, would lead you to become angry in some attempt to manipulate others to get what you want. And what is it, what desires lead you to anger when you don't get what you want? You see, anger is not a root sinful desire. It's not like we're, we're sort of born with this desire to be angry. It's a symptom, right? It's, it's one of those ways that we identify, boy, there's some ruling desire in my heart. I mean, very few people just have this ruling desire to be angry people. I just, I'm going to, you know, smash like Hulk or something. You know, it's just more often than not, it's this desire that I don't get what I want or I, I get angry to get what I want or I just think about this thing constantly. When I do, I just start to get really angry. It's a, anger is a response to that ruling desire. So what is that for you? What are those desires that would lead you towards anger? And again, when I say anger, I'm not talking simply about revealed anger, like yelling, name-calling, aggression, violence, rage. Because it's real easy for us to say, well, you know what? I don't go Hulk on people, so I'm not angry. Now, anger also is there in our attempts to conceal it. When we become bitter or resentful in our hearts towards other people, when we seek to avoid people who annoy us. Anger is present there in critical and judgmental attitudes. Remember, it's a negative moral judgment against a perceived evil. And so it, it's tied to our judgmentalism and our, our criticism of other people. Anger might lead us to grumble against God or others or distance ourselves from those who make us angry. At times, it's present in our attempts to control situations. It's certainly there when we're seeking to manipulate other people. Anger is there in our irritation or our frustration or our impatience, okay? So if you say, I'm frustrated right now, what you're saying is, I'm angry. Just know that. So whether you typically blow up or you clam up and you allow anger to fester and poison your heart, both revealed and concealed anger is the result of warring and consuming desires in your heart that would lead you away from the true and living God. It will not produce the righteousness of God. And so if we took an honest look at our relationships, the way we view other people, you know, those people that we don't like that much. Uh, if we look at those longings for control or convenience, it's pretty easy to see that we're angry people, are we not? I'm an angry person. I got angry this week in writing a sermon about anger. I'm like, how angry is that? <laughs> but just because we feel angry and at times we feel consumed by our anger, we must never justify our anger. And even if someone sins against you repeatedly, there's this habitual sin struggle that some, like your, your spouse or someone is dealing with. It does not give you license. You are not justified in your anger. 
We do not have a right to express sinful anger. But here's the thing, guys. We don't have to respond in sinful anger. We choose to. Maybe that's been your habitual response for years and years and years and years. I mean, like, that's just the way that you've you handled inconvenience or thwarting of goals or, or when you don't get what you want, you've just automatically responded in anger. And so it just seems second nature. It seems almost like instinctive. It seems like you can't help it. It is controlling and consuming you. The truth is it doesn't. Not if you're new in Christ. That old former manner of life is dead. Those corrupt, deceitful desires do not have to deceive you. You can be renewed in the spirit of your minds. You can put on Christ, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We have put on Christ. So the next time you're tempted to to respond to someone's sin in anger, take time to take the plank out of your own eye because you can is you need to get this. We, we have a new identity in Christ. All of those former manners of life, that's gone. All of those desires that you had that would rule over you have been defeated. They've died on the cross and now you are a new creation. So you don't have to fall prey to those anymore. And just because you've responded thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times in anger, you don't have to do that anymore. That's a former manner of life. You can walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. We don't have to bow down to those things. We have put on Christ. And so we long to display Christ, not the anger of the world or the devil. We long to love him more than the desires that would lead us to respond in anger. Therefore, we, as it says in verse 31, which we'll look at in a few weeks, we are to put off all sinful anger. So that's the first qualification. Do not sin in your anger. The second is do not let the sun go down on your anger. He's saying deal with it. Deal with it. Don't just ignore it. Deal with it. Deal with it quickly. Don't harbor or nurse feelings of anger and resentment or bitterness or hostility. Don't tuck it away and deceive yourselves into thinking that it's not a big deal. This really doesn't bother me. This is, you know, whatever. Because the next time that person does that thing, you find yourself right back there in that anger suddenly all, or that bitterness or that resentment and you don't trust them and, you, and you're basically you're hating them in that moment all of a sudden because you haven't dealt with that anger. When we fail to reconcile anger and bitterness, it warps our perceptions of reality and it tears away at the bond of peace that we have been given in Christ. It ruins our fellowship and it, and it tears at our soul. It's fail, failing to deal with my anger towards another makes me like a time bomb that is ready to explode. And the reality is I can't love that person and hate them at the same time. And that's what we attempt to do. When we don't deal with our anger. Back in chapter 2, we saw that Christ has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So that he has created in himself one new man in place of the two. He has reconciled us both to God and to each other in one body on the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So what does it say about the gospel 
if we continue to harbor bitterness and hostility against each other? How can we walk in a manner worthy of our calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eagerly maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace if I'm nursing my thoughts and feelings of anger toward you? Holding on to grudges and stubbornly remaining unwilling to talk and to reconcile them is proud. It is selfish. It is sinful. It is immature. It's standing in judgment over that person and demanding my own way. You see, that's what we're doing. In our anger, we're attempting to play God. I am judge, jury, and executioner of you for your sin. Stonewalling someone, just ignoring them, avoiding them, not speaking to them. Or holding a grudge is an act of violence. We're seeking to punish them. That's what we're doing. I've judged you to to have committed an evil against me. I want you to be punished. Therefore, I'm ignoring you. I'm avoiding you. I'm not dealing with you. When we harbor anger against another, we're trying to punish them. But the the funny thing is, in in the end, we only end up punishing ourselves more because most of the time, they're completely oblivious. (laughs) most of the time people don't even know that you're angry at them if you're uh, one who holds it internally. But failing to deal with anger is like an acid. It's an acid that burns away at the unity that has been given to us in Christ. Now, again, here's the amazing thing about this passage. God is not calling us to do anything that he has not already done for us in Christ Jesus. There are no feelings, no pain, no hardship, no broken relationships that are beyond the reconciliation of the gospel. God will indeed bring to completion what he has begun in the day of Christ Jesus. And so we're called then to deal with our anger quickly. The power and the penalty of our sin has been defeated. And so we go and we deal with it. All who are in Christ have been made one. And so we go and we deal with our anger in hope. Because we know that it's died on the cross. We're seeking to live in our new identity. We know we're trusting that Christ is sufficient to restore and reconcile that relationship. And so we go and we deal with it. We deal with it for the glory of Christ. We deal with it for the glory of the gospel so that we would not be divided and lead ourselves and others into sin. As I have needed to be reminded of that fact this week, I'm so prone to fall into hopelessness when it comes towards other people. And so if you are harboring a grudge against another, deal with it. Keep short accounts. Go to them. Confess your sin. Ask for forgiveness. Acknowledge that the depth of hurt that your anger towards that person has caused. But be very aware here. Because here's the thing, if you have this tendency to harbor grudges or bitterness towards other people, you're going to be really tempted to take it back up again. When we don't attempt to bury the hatchet and leave the handle sticking up out of the ground. And oftentimes that's what we do. 
Well, I've dealt with this. I've forgiven them. But I'm ready to go the next time it comes around. Christ didn't do that. In God, uh, if God has completely done away with his wrath towards you in the death of Christ, then allow your anger towards that person to die with him. We have been forgiven of so much so that we might forgive of little. We have received an overabundance of God's lavish grace so we can extend grace to others. We have received mercy, so let us be merciful. Friends, do you see how our anger reflects upon the nature of the gospel? Do you see how the gospel gives hope and life to our anger? That we can't actually put it down. We can't actually bury it. It is actually dead in Christ. So we must not sin in anger. Instead, we must deal with it quickly. And that leads us to the third qualification. That the reason why we have to deal with our anger quickly is to give no opportunity to the devil. Satan is prowling around like a lion and he's looking for any opportunity he can to thwart or hinder the work of Christ. If we fail to deal with our anger, it's an open door for Satan to come in and to tear, to shred at the unity that we have in the gospel. We're giving him, light, we're, we're giving him an opening to come in and just further divide, further separate. Not that he controls us, but that he attempts us to, to give further vent to our anger and to, uh, to lead us away from one another, to, to divide rather than live in light of that unity that we've been given in Christ. I'm sure that you have, you've seen the danger and the effects of unresolved anger and unresolved relationships in churches. If you spent any time in churches at all, you, you've seen this. I mean, I grew up in a southern, you know, old school Southern Baptist church, man. So like churches, I, I swear to you, like most churches multiply through division, right? They get angry. There's some war over carpets or, you know, this person said this to me and all of that kind of stuff. And so I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to gather a bunch of people with me. We're going to go over, we're going to start a new church and we're going to do it the right way. But they, they were started in anger and bitterness. So what, what's that going to manifest? You know, we, we've seen just how destructive this is. And we look at that and we say, boy, that's wrong. But then we don't look at ourselves in the same light. You know, we're just like, oh, that person is exceptionally evil, exceptionally angry. I'm not that way. I could never do that. And so I don't deal with my anger. But just know that if you allow that anger to continue in your heart, if you, don't, if you let the sun go down on your anger, you don't deal with it, you're opening yourself up to Satan and his advances. You're giving him an opportunity to destroy the fellowship that we have. You're giving him opportunity to destroy the work of Christ in you and the work of Christ in our church, in our relationships with each other. We're giving him opportunity. Satan is a liar, a murderer, a divider, an aggressor. Do not be deceived. Make no excuse for holding on to hostility. It's not from God. It only images Satan. And this is one of those things that really just kind of killed me in thinking about that this week is that perhaps what's most sad is that in our anger, we're attempting to play God, but we end up playing the devil. Ever think about that? I'm trying to judge you. It's perceived evil against you. I'm trying to play God. But I only end up working for the devil. I play the devil. 
Why not let God be God? And rather than become angry and trust our souls to the one who loved us and who has saved us, to the one who has redeemed us and has brought us peace, to the one who is changing us through these everyday frustrating and infuriating circumstances that we find ourselves in in order to conform us into the image of Christ. You know, God is good. Do not be angry at him. Why not wait for the Lord who will bring about his swift and just retribution in his own perfect timing? He's made us in Christ. He is transforming us into Christ. Therefore, let us put off sinful anger. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. And what I want us to do is just to spend a few moments reflecting over this passage and what we've just heard, allowing God's word to penetrate our hearts and, and just some time in confession and prayer before we take of the Lord's Supper. Let's, let's deal right now in our hearts with the anger that we recognize that we have. Um, so I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that and then I'll come up and lead us in the Lord's Supper.